everyone, all, all the ones in the back that didn't hear me say it the first time. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, as Ron made mention, we are missing, um, many of us are missing our better half this morning out at the ladies retreat. We've been praying for them and I know that the, as far as um, the report that I've gotten, they've had a good time out there and so they'll be coming back today and all the men said... The rest of you are in trouble. All right, so it's good to be here uh, this morning. My um, Just kind of a, a little bit of a reference to what we're going to be doing in the future, and you guys can pray, and I know that some of you have asked about what our next study is going to be. We'll be going through the book of Hebrews, and so we'll um, either start that next week or after, the, after we do our uh, special Sunday with baptisms. I haven't decided yet on when I'm, I'm going to get into that. I didn't want to start it today with the ladies being gone, so um, we're doing something a little bit different. The text that uh, um, William read to you this morning out of Romans 7, um, it's a difficult text to understand, as difficult as it is to read. Right, William? Okay. Yeah. You go through that and try to read that out loud, you know, five times over and your tongue will be all tied up and you won't be able to talk anymore. It's a difficult text. But yet, at the same time, it's such an important text. Um, this passage of Scripture is where a lot of us live. And the Apostle Paul writes uh, about a struggle in his own life that um, he didn't understand. I, the, the first phrase that, that um, begins verse number 15 really describes the Apostle Paul's struggle. He says, I do not understand my own actions. And he goes on to describe what he means by that. The things that I don't want to do, these are the things that I'm doing. The things that I do want to do, these are the things that I can't do. I don't understand or, or have the ability to do them. Paul is having this really, uh, this, this serious struggle in his life. And it's interesting because if you, study, um, if you study some different authors on this text of Scripture, you'll find some that will say that Paul was just a, a new believer and his struggle was just based upon the fact that he was a new believer um, you find others that say that the Apostle Paul was a mature believer, that this was a, not a part of his life that was um, based upon his immaturity, but he was a mature believer during this time, and it was a struggle that he, he faced his entire life. Um, I tend to adopt the latter, that the Apostle Paul was a mature believer in this passage, that he wasn't an immature believer, but the reality of abiding sin in our life is something that doesn't stop. As we mature in the Lord, it's always going to be there. As much as he says in this text that I know that when I desire to do right, sin is close by. Uh, the temptation to sin, the temptation to do wrong is, is close by. It's always there. It's always abiding near us um, because of our flesh. So I tend to adopt the fact that the Apostle Paul was mature in the faith here. But his question that he asks um, in this passage of scripture is uh, basically in relation to why do I still struggle? After all that I've been through, why do I still struggle? And if you go back to chapter number six and, and the beginning of chapter number seven, the apostle Paul presents to us three basic truths that, that are really foundational to the reason why he asks this question. The first truth is presented in the first uh, several verses of chapter number six, where the apostle Paul describes the fact that as a believer, we are a new person, and we are a new creation. When a person gets saved, they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're completely transformed. Um, he says in verse number two of chapter number six, he says, do you not know that all of those who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, which is not talking about physical baptism, but it's talking about spiritual baptism. He says, all of those who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So in, in other words, Christ's death became our death. We died with Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he, he bore our sins. It was, it was as if we were, we were dying with him. His death was sufficient to pay for all of our sins. And not only that, he says, in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. In other words, what the Apostle Paul says is when a person gets saved, when they become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, everything changes. They become a new person. 
They're no longer the same person that they were before. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Everything spiritually is changed in that person's life. He doesn't stop there, but if you go towards the end of of Romans chapter number six, you'll find that he has a new master. Not only is the Apostle Paul a new person, but the end of this chapter, it describes him as having a new master. Verse number 17, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become a slave of righteousness. And then in verse 22, but now that you have become but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become a slave to God. The fruit you that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So not only are we a new person, but we also have a new master. We have somebody else who is guiding our life. We have somebody else who is dictating to us. We have a new lord, if you will. Somebody else who is dictating to us what to do. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm a new person, I have a new master, and then in chapter number seven, he begins chapter number seven in the first um, six verses, he talks about having a new mate, a, a new marriage partner. He says that before a person is saved, they're married to the law, and therefore everything that they do is judged by and they're held accountable to the law. And as long as the law is alive, They are married to it. They are committed to it. They are um, seeking to try to please it, right? Before a person gets saved, they seek to please or satisfy God based upon the merits of their efforts. But once a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they're no longer married to the law. The Bible says they're set free to be married to another person, and that person is Jesus Christ, so not only are we a new person, but we have a new master, and we have a new, a new marriage partner. Uh, we're married to grace. We're married to liberty. We're married to freedom in Christ. We have a, a, a new uh, pleasure in life. And it's interesting, because if you look at those things, you think about the fact that in, 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 in one case, it's who we are. In, in the next case, it's, it's what we do because we're obedient, because Christ has given us a submissive heart. But in the third case, it's what we desire. Most of us are married to people that we desire, right? We take pleasure in our, in our wives. We take pleasure in our husbands. And when they've been gone for two days, it's, 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 it's easier to think about that, isn't it? We take pleasure in them. So it's not just we are this person and now we are controlled by this master, but this is something that we take pleasure in. Following Jesus is not, a, is not something that we... Um, do without enjoying enjoyment. And over and over again in the New Testament, uh, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In John, it tells us that Christ's joy might be in us and our joy might be full. The Bible tells us that we obey him because we love him. Our relationship with the Lord is built around these things. So here the Apostle Paul is, and he says, I know I'm a new creature. I know I'm a new creation. I know I'm different. I know that I have a new master, and I know that I love this new master. And then he comes to this question. He comes to this, to this, to this problem, and he asks the question, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep struggling in these areas that are sinful, that are wrong, when all of these things are new about me? I'm different. I want to do what's right. I desire to do what's right. I desire to follow Jesus. Let me say this to you as well. We must know that a desire to follow Jesus and a desire to do right is a, is, a, is a necessary result of being a follower of Jesus. It is not optional. The, optional. the optional part is that sometimes we struggle to do what's right, right? The optional part is not that we don't desire to do what is right. When a person gets saved, they become a new creature under a new master with a new marriage partner. Their desires are going to be the right desires. That's why the Apostle Paul says over and over again in this text, the things that I should do, that I want to do, I don't do them sometimes. The things that I don't want to do, we see this, we see this, this flow of the Apostle Paul's desires were right, and when a person gets saved, that's what changes. And what changes is on the inside of them. Their passions and their desires begin to change. 
They begin to want to do the right thing, but, but as we see in this text, they struggle to do the right thing because of, their, um, because of what the Apostle Paul says is that the flesh is, is there with them. I'm going to just read the text to you again, and we're just going to try to unpack it um, in, our, in our few minutes that we have remaining together. Just try to unpack this passage of Scripture and see why we do these things, and then um, unpack a little bit of how we, can, how we can win over these temptations and sins. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, for I do, not do what I want to do but I do the very thing that I hate, okay? And if you, if you have a pen and you want to underline something in your Bibles, understand, underline that word hate, okay? It's a, it's a strong word that's not used to describe something that we dislike. It's used to describe something that we have a, an absolute opposition to, okay? This is something that we hate. The Bible says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. These are two extreme terms that are used. He could have said he will dislike one and like the other, but he used, he used ter- terms that describe complete opposite emotions. Also remember that this is dealing with love and hate are dealing with emotions, feelings. The Christian life is not just about doing, it's about enjoying, it's about feeling, it's about loving, it's about hating. If you, said to, if you said to your wife, I love you, honey, I just don't feel like I love you. No, that is, they're connected. Feelings are connected with love. Love for your mate, love for your, love for your God. So he uses these strong feeling words. I do the things that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want... I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, listen, this is such an important truth. The Apostle Paul says is when I, when I do the things that I don't want to do, I appreciate the law. I appreciate the law. I, I see the law as good. When I want to do wrong and the law says you can't do wrong, do I see the law as good anymore? When I don't want to do wrong... But I do wrong, and the law says, stop doing wrong. Do I see the law as good now? When somebody gets saved and gets converted, their attitude towards the law is different. The law is no longer that which is meant to hinder them. The law is there to help them, to overcome the very passions of their flesh. The law is there to, is meant to say no to them in areas that they would pursue, but they don't want to pursue. The law is not a hindrance. Listen, folks, people who say, I, I, I can't stand the law because it doesn't let me do what I want to do, don't understand the law. They haven't gained an appreciation in their heart for what the law is meant to accomplish. So the Apostle Paul says, when I don't do, when I, when I, when I do what I do not want to do, I'm thankful for the law because it helps hinder me. Because my heart is in the right place, but my flesh is not in agreement with my heart, so I don't want to do these things, but I'm doing them, and the law is helpful to keep me from doing them. You know, some of us would like to put our foot on the pedal a little bit harder, right? We don't know that there might be an accident coming up ahead, and the Lord says, no, 55 miles an hour is the speed limit, slow down. That law is beneficial to us when we see it as being helpful keeping us from doing the things that we would do that ultimately would be hurtful to us. I know some of us don't like the speed limit, right? But how many of us like the speed limit for our children? Right? Because we see it as a protection. We see it as keeping them from doing that which would be natural for their flesh to desire to do. Not just that, but other laws. We also know this, the law is not, should not, and, and ultimately will not be the means by which we overcome sin. A relationship with Christ is the, is the means by which that happens. But here's the thing. Your, your attitude, my attitude towards the law is different when I'm saved. Because I don't want to do the things that are wrong, but yet I, but yet I still struggle with those things. 
So that's what he says. He says, when I, when I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So how is it no longer I? So, so now, see, see William? Tongue-tied. Should have just left it alone and let William have it. Um, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In other words, Apostle Paul says that I, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know how to. Uh, I, I want to do good, but I, I, I haven't yet um, learned how to do good. We'll look at that and unpack that a little bit more later. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For when I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, and I want you to notice this. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, and we just underline that word members there, because what he's referring to is he's referring to our arms, our legs, our, our body. He's referring to our outer person, okay? That, that part of us that's, that's not been redeemed yet, the, the part of us that's still waiting for the redemption for our glorified bodies, the, that's what's being referred to here. It's like in my inner person, in my spirit, in my soul, in the, in the core of who John Prettyman is, all things are new. But in my, outer, in my members, in my outer body, there's, there's this struggle going on. He says, um, but I see in my members another law that wages war against the law of my mind and makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my, in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's speaking about our, our, our physical being. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And that is a statement of fact. That's something that will never change. A person who is saved will always serve the law of the Lord with their inner being, with their mind, with their, because, the, because that's been changed. They will always serve the law of, the, of sin with their flesh. It will never change. What I want to help you understand today is how you can win over it. Because some people try to change their flesh. They try to alter their flesh, and their flesh will never change. Your flesh will never change until we reach heaven's gates. But there are some things that you can do to help overcome your flesh. It isn't about changing your flesh. It's about dying to your flesh. That's why the apostle Paul said, I die daily. It wasn't about him making his flesh better. He understood that that was a, a, a battle that could not be won. But what he did also understand was that the way you win is by dying to that flesh. It's by getting that flesh out of the way and, and living for the Lord. And that's how, we're going to, that's how we're going to win. So let's look this morning at four things about this battle that we're dealing with, this struggle that every single person in this building deals with, and if you don't, then you're better than the Apostle Paul, so I'm just going to assume that you do. We all struggle with not doing what we want to do or doing what we ought not to do or don't want to do in our hearts. So number one is we're going to talk about the Spirit for a few minutes. Okay, first of all, we want to understand that this struggle is not because of spiritual frailty. The battle that we have is not based upon the fact that we're spiritually frail or spiritually weak. Okay, we are, according to Scripture, complete in Christ. And once a person is saved, the Spirit of God comes to live within them. It is not a matter of getting more of the Spirit or having less of the Spirit or the Spirit being more powerful in your life or the Spirit being less powerful in your life. Once you get saved, once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes to live within you. And the Bible tells us that at that very moment of justification, you are complete in Christ. You are 100% complete in Him. He tells us in Colossians 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, speaking of Jesus, 
and you are complete in him. You are complete in him. When you have Jesus, Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are complete. We are spiritually complete. We are spiritually mature. We, are, we, are, we, are spiritually, we have spiritually arrived. It says, who is the head of all principalities and powers. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says we are complete in Christ based upon the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. So, so if Jesus died and we died with Christ, his, his death was our death and our sins have all been taken care of, right? God, Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath towards our sins, not based upon our overcoming those sins, but based on Jesus Christ's sufficiency, putting off the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Not by our circumcision, but by his circumcision. Not by our death, but by his death. We are, we are complete in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything has changed. We are in Christ based solely on his sufficiency, based solely on his sacrifice, based solely on his resurrection, based upon him and him alone. We are made complete, lacking in Nothing based upon what Christ has done for us. Romans chapter number eight and verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, I mean, just watch the flow of this text. If, if Jesus' spirit, if, if the spirit of Christ, that, the power of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, says, um, what verse was I on? 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. As long as we have Christ Jesus living in our hearts, we are, we are complete. There's nothing lacking spiritually. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and verse 12, for he who has the Son has life. In other words, he who has Jesus Christ has everything. He tells us in another text that he has given us his, his nature, that we have the divine nature, and by having his divine nature, we have all things necessary for, for godliness and for life. We have everything that we need by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We see this in the Apostles Paul's life in this text of Scripture here. He was truly transformed spiritually. He now has the right desires he now has an agreement with the law. He now has an acknowledgement of his sins. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The confession of sins, the idea of repentance towards our sins is not something that we um, manufacture on our own. It is something that is gifted to us by the Lord himself. When God's spirit comes to live inside of an individual, he awakens within them the passion to, to acknowledge their sins and to, and to accept what Jesus Christ has done for them. Listen to me, folks. We as Christians are not afraid of the fact that we are sinners because we have a sufficient and, and supreme and superior Savior. We don't, we don't pale away from the fact that we are fallen we don't hide from the fact that we have failed because we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to hide from because Jesus Christ has satisfied God's wrath for our sins. We are complete in that reality. There's nothing left to be done. God has made us complete spiritually. We are totally transformed. 
we are spiritually strong, the transformation is complete in our spirit and in our souls. When Jesus Christ was in the garden in Mark 14, 38, he's talking to the apostle Peter. They're praying together and the disciples are sleeping and you can remember the story in the garden. Jesus comes to them. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he says to them, the spirit indeed is willing or the spirit indeed is ready, but your flesh is weak. And we study the life of Peter just in that, one, in that one evening, in that one event, just immediately following Jesus Christ's statement of, of Peter, your spirit is ready, your spirit is strong, you can do this, and your flesh is weak. Immediately following that, the soldiers come into the garden, Peter pulls out his sword, immediately acting in his, in his flesh. He knocks off Malchus's ear. Jesus picks that ear up and puts it back on. The next thing that we know, Peter's in the garden and the woman and the, the people are asking him, you, you're with this guy, aren't you? And Peter denies him three times, even to the point of cursing the Lord himself. The reason for it is that Peter walked in his flesh that night. It was a, that was a sad moment in Peter's life. I believe it was foundational to him preaching at Pentecost just some days after this. But it was a sad moment in Peter's life. It was a fleshly moment in Peter's life. We have those moments, but those moment, that moment was not based upon Peter being weak in his spirit. Those moments of failures in our lives, those, those moments of falling on our face physically and, 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 and uh, in regards to sin or temptation, those are not because we're not spiritually able. They're not because we don't have enough of the Spirit of God. They're not because we need more of Him. It's because we have fallen in our flesh. This, 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 this transformation, spiritual transformation, is a real transformation. It is a complete transformation. The Bible tells us in John 3, 20 and 21, for everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And then the second person is not describing a perfect person. It's describing somebody that's willing to come into the light. Sinful as they are, they're willing to come into the light because they understand the sufficiency of Jesus. That is why the book of 1 John begins with those who walk in darkness versus those who walk in the light. It's not saying that some people walk in perfection and some people walk in sin. It's saying that some people walk in honesty. Some people are willing to come into the light and be exposed for who they are. Some people are legalistic and they think that they're self-righteous and they say, well, I walk in the light all the time. The problem is, is those people are walking in darkness because they're hiding behind the fact that they aren't righteous, that they want to be seen as righteous. This is the Pharisees. The true Christian is one who acknowledges who they are and is willing to stand and dwell in the light. Now, James tells us that a man who opens the perfect law of liberty and sees who he is and walks away and makes no changes is not a blessed man. But the one who opens the, God, the word of God and sees who he really is, it's like looking into a mirror that is a perfect mirror of who you are and it exposes every one of your flaws. And he says the one who remains there is the one who is blessed. The one who stays in the light, who dwells in the light, not because he is good, but because he has Jesus. Jesus is the only way that can, can, can cause us to stay, into, stay and stand into the light. He is the only one. Hebrews 13 and verse 21, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. Jesus makes us complete and every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, working in you. He works in you. He works in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're not weak in the spirit, folks. That's not our struggle. That's not what we're wrestling with. Number two, so first of all, we know that we're not weak in the spirit. Again, we see this with the Apostle Paul. I want to do what's right. I don't want to do what's wrong. I hate this stuff. I hate what I'm doing. 
that comes from a spirit of righteousness, that comes from a transformed heart, a changed heart. It's amazing when somebody gets saved and they continue to struggle. I've often said that when we get saved, our tastes don't change. We still taste, we still like the same taste. We still, the flesh is still the same as it was before. Our desires change, but those things don't change. But I've often said this, what does change is the way that we respond when we do sin and how we hate it and how we feel, we feel conviction, we feel need for Jesus. So number one, it's not spiritual weakness. Number two, it's not the sinful nature. So if, you want, if you're taking notes, the spirit is number one, the sinful nature is number two. The struggle is not with our sin nature, okay? There are, no, there are not two coexisting natures in every man old and new, okay? There are not two coexisting natures. Somebody, somebody might say and people might excuse, well, that's just my, that's just my old nature, it's just my old nature winning over my new nature. And so it's just, we, we kind of excuse it by, by, by blaming it on a part of us, an old nature, that which we, we find to be natural based upon our old nature. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That old nature, that old sinful self, that's been done away with. It's been done away with by the death and resurrection of Christ. Through salvation, our old nature is is killed. It's put to death. It's not about feeding the old nature versus feeding the bad nature, and whichever one you feed more, that one wins. Our old nature has been done away with. The Bible says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Colossians 2 and verse, uh, 3 and verse 9 says, lie not, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. There isn't a battle of a sinful nature versus a um, new nature. When the Lord Jesus Christ, before a person is saved, they are bound by the old nature. The old nature controls them. When they get saved, they are, they are given a new nature. And their new nature now takes the, the role of authority in their life, okay? Their, their old nature is done away with. It's put to death in salvation. Their new nature is now made alive. This is what Paul is dealing with when he says, the things that I don't desire or the things that I do desire, he's dealing with a new nature, He has a new nature. Now, that new nature doesn't manifest itself all the time on the outside, but he does have a new nature, and that new nature is that which is in control. When you think about old and new natures, we often think about this competition for lordship in our life. Whichever you feed more is stronger. Here's what the Bible says about that. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. Now, it sounds like you can't have two masters. You will hate one and love the other one. You cannot serve God and man. James 4 and verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, and whoever, therefore, desires to be a friend of the world is not the friend of God. 1 John chapter number 2, the Bible says, the, these are the three things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if these things are in you, then you are not in the Lord. Then he is not in you. There is no coexisting of good and evil within man. There is good within man who is saved, and there is evil on the outside. There is the, the body of the flesh that is still being redeemed because one day, or not still being redeemed, will be redeemed when we get our glorified bodies. Right now, we live in fallen bodies, but we have been completely transformed. We have been given a new nature by the Lord that totally controls us. Matthew 8, or not Matthew, Romans 8, verse 6 says, 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. But those who are in the, because those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then in verse number 14 it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, and all, all who are controlled, all who are dominated by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. There's not two natures competing for lordship of our lives. There's one Lord in a believer's life, and that is God. That is Jesus Christ. There's one Lord. And those who are followers submitted to that Lord, they are children of God. When you think about two natures, what you're saying is, is there are two things that are natural to me. That's what a nature is. It's that which comes natural to you. And when you have opposing things, you cannot be two natures. That is why the scriptures are clear. You will love one and you will hate the other one. Matthew 7, verse 17 and 18. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. There's not two natures inside of us and our, we, are, we are torn. Half of us is redeemed and half of us is not redeemed. We are, we are redeemed and our body is still, what part of us has to be still redeemed? It's our body because it hasn't yet died. When we died with Christ, it was a spiritual death. When we resurrected with Christ, it was a spiritual resurrection. We are spiritually, in our spirit and soul, we are completely renewed based upon the death and resurrection of Christ. Our body, the Apostle Paul says on a number of occasions, I can't wait to be set free from this body of sin. In our bodies, we still have the scars of our sinful past that don't go away, and they will never go away. So it's not our sinful nature. It's not a struggle between two natures. It's not, this is natural for me to love Jesus, and it's natural for me to hate Jesus too. It kind of sounds like schizophrenia, doesn't it? Is it natural? Can somebody naturally say, I naturally love Jesus, and I naturally hate Jesus? Is that, is that, is that, a, is that a, would that be an honest statement? Would that be an accurate biblical statement? It is an impossibility to say those two things. But I will tell you this, the old nature hates Jesus and the new nature loves Jesus. It's not about old nature, new nature. It's about our flesh, who we are on the outside and who we are on the inside. And we'll look at that here right now. The struggle, number three. You have the sinful nature, we have the, um, the spirit, the sinful nature, and then the struggle. What is the struggle? The struggle is with our scarred flesh. It's with our scarred flesh. That which we, that which we did before salvation has scarred us and has scarred us for life. The things that we tasted and enjoyed before salvation, that is going to be something that we are going to desire to taste after salvation. The things that we've looked at and lusted for before salvation are the things that we're gonna desire to look at and lust after after salvation. The scars that we bear pre-salvation are the scars that remain with us forever until this body is done away with. It's about the scarred flesh that we have. Those security blankets that you have when you go through difficulties, when you go through stressful and difficult moments in your life, the things that you run to, maybe your problem is anger. You get in a stressful situation and you get angry. It doesn't change after you're saved. You desire not to be that way, but your natural tendencies, your <coughs> fleshly, your, <coughs> your body, your tendency is going to be to go to those safety zones. They're gonna be to go to that safety net. If, if lust is your, is your comfort zone, you're going to want to go there in your flesh. If anger, if, if bitterness or pride or whatever might be the case, that those things that dominated us before we were saved, they're still going to dwell with us after we are saved. They remain with us. The struggle is that we have a scarred flesh. 
And that scarred flesh is scarred by a number of different things before we are saved. And we will struggle with that flesh until, we, until the day that we die. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Our outward man is perishing. Again, it's referring to our body. Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. The inner person is what is eternal. The outer person is what is dying and one day will die and will be um, renewed, uh, will be transformed. The apostle uh, says it in 1 um, Thessalonians and also in um, 1 Corinthians 15. We talk about the renewed body, the changed body. Remember this, the flesh is evil. Okay, The flesh is evil and always will be. The Apostle Paul says, in me, that is in my flesh, used to dwell no good thing. Is that what it says? Apostle Paul says, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about our flesh. There's nothing good about it at all. It's never going to be good. You're not going to change it and make it good. It is, it is that which stands in the way of you being fully used by the Lord. It's that, it's that which stands in the way of you fully seeing the Lord. The flesh is evil before and after salvation and always will be. The flesh's only hope is final redemption. The flesh cannot be, or the sinful flesh cannot be changed. It must be replaced. Colossians 2.23 says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but, are, but, are, but, but they are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. In other words, all of the religious things that we can throw against the flesh all of those things that we can put out there to try to control the flesh, to try to limit the flesh, they have no power over the flesh at all. <clears throat> Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. In verse 12, and not only the creation, but we ourselves all who are the first fruits of Christ groan inwardly and wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the part of us that's still dominated by sin. Wrong desires, lust, pride, all of those things, it is, it is dominated um, still and will remain dominated by those things. The last thing this morning is what is the solution? What is the solution? How do we win? in this battle over the flesh? How do we win in this struggle that we have with, with things that were enjoyable to us before that we, we were saved, but now they've become something that we know is wrong, but yet we still find those things enjoyable. We still find the desire to do those things in the flesh, but we find this war within us that says, no, that's not right anymore. That's the battle that we face. Here, here's the way that we win just give, I'm going to give you some thoughts in, in closing. He says at the end of this chapter, he says, wretched man that I am. What does the Apostle Paul do with, with that simple phrase? Okay, does he self-exalt? Does he identify how good of a person he is, how many victories he's had? What, is, what does Paul say in that passage, in that verse? He just says, I am, I am a wretched man. I, I am a, in me that is in my, there's no greater statement of the, of the sinfulness of our flesh than the Apostle Paul's in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body that maintains these scars that's going to be a constant battle in my life until the day that I die with pride with lust, with taste that I shouldn't, desire, shouldn't taste buds that are, 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 are wrong? Who is going to deliver me from that? The Bible says, so then, he says, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, 
but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The Apostle Paul says a few things in this statement. He says, number one, that victory comes through Jesus Christ. And we know that. All victory in the Christian realm comes through Jesus Christ. All victory comes through Jesus Christ. There is no salvific um, salvation victory that doesn't come through Jesus Christ. But, but you know something? In addition to that, there is no victory that you're going to face today that doesn't come through Jesus Christ. All victory comes by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. You can't win over your flesh if you don't realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives inside of you. You can't win over your flesh unless you realize that the Spirit of God that lives inside of you has enough power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and has enough power to, to give you victory throughout the day that your struggles that you're facing today. We have to realize first and foremost that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our struggles. He is the answer, and he is the only answer that we have. We believe that he's already won the battle. We believe that he is capable and he wants us to win and we believe that he lives inside of us. 1 John 2.16 says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, these are not from the Father but are of the world. 1 John 5 and verse 4, for, every, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. How do we overcome the world? We overcome the world by faith. It's by trusting and believing what Christ has done for us. First John 4 and verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the the, night, the life that I now live in the flesh, the, the life that I now live in my body, I don't live by strength to overcome my flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The victory doesn't come by us changing our flesh. The victory comes through trusting Jesus Christ. It is through daily dependence on him. It is through wake up, waking up in the morning and saturating yourself with Jesus Christ. You cannot walk through a day without having filled your mind and your heart with Jesus in the morning and get through that day and be victorious because you're not, you're not rooted in Christ. You think about what John 15 talks about, abiding in Christ. When you abide in Christ, you will produce much fruit. Sometimes we, we, we want to walk through the days victorious, but we haven't rooted ourselves in the person who is capable of giving us that victory. Just recently, I've had a few days in my, in my life that I knew were going to be really, really highly stressful. Maybe you guys have some of those days, too. I'm sure that you probably have more than I do, but it was like, I knew these days were going to be stressful, so I said in my heart, Lord, I am going to dedicate and devote additional time to my time with you this morning because I know that without you here, without you here, I will not win. The victory comes through and in Jesus Christ. Number two, the victory comes through discipline. It comes through discipline in our lives. Sowing good seeds, exercising yourself unto righteousness, doing the things that cultivate a love for God. When the Apostle Paul says that I want to do the right things, but I don't, want, I don't know how to do the right things, get a video, right? Go on YouTube and figure out how to do it. You gotta do those things that are gonna cultivate a love for God. It's not gonna come natural to your flesh. You gotta figure it out. You gotta work towards it. You gotta cultivate that love on the inside of you. You gotta encourage that love on the inside of you. You gotta encourage that passion on the inside of you. And it comes through the word of God. It comes through prayer. It comes through dependence on the Holy Spirit. But you gotta cultivate that. Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, let us not grow weary in doing what is good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, if we are, have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially those who are of the household of faith. He says, in, he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. 
Do, you, do we know what it means to train ourselves for something? We train ourselves for a race, so we go out and we run, right? We train ourselves for a basketball game, so we go out and we shoot baskets. We train ourselves for a football game, so we throw the football, right? We, train, we know what it means to train ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, train yourself for godliness, Train yourself, feed into your your mind and into your body things that are gonna be good and helpful. Go out and help somebody who is struggling or who needs somebody to mow their lawn or just, just help people. This is training yourself. This is letting God use you and training yourself for godliness. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, you guys know it, he's like, everybody that runs in a race runs, runs, but we as Christians, we don't run for a, for a carnal crown. We run for a, a heavenly crown. And then he says, and we beat our bodies. We, we put our bodies in subjection. We discipline our bodies in subjection so that we might win. There's a discipline that comes. Your flesh is not going to want, your flesh is always going to want to go to that which is easy. Your flesh is always going go to go to that which is comfortable. Your flesh is always going to want to go to that which it feels as being safe. You know, that's why when you get into a difficult situation, your, your, your temper rises and your face turns red and you yell at people because you feel like you can then control your stress. Or you get in a stressful situation and you go to an alcoholic beverage or you go to looking at something that's lustful because those are things that are, we feel like they're safety zones, that we're in control. You're not going to be able to control your flesh. You have to put it aside and you have to strengthen the spirit Live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. We've got to discipline our bodies, discipline our bodies to do what our Spirit wants. Number two, number three, mortification. Put to death those things that hinder spiritual life and growth. In in Matthew chapter number five, the Bible says this it's better that you go through life with one eye and enter into heaven, than that you go through life with two eyes and, and, and face hell. You, you see the picture that he's painting there? This is a serious battle. If your eyes are the struggle that you have, it's better that you pluck them out and enter into heaven's gates than that you leave them in and go through life lusting and end up in, in hell, hell's eternal fire. The issue is simple. There's a war going on. Our flesh wants to do what is wrong, and our spirit, and that which, is, that which is right and good, wants to do what is right. We must mortify. We must mortify just means put to death. We must kill those things that are of the flesh. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And if you want to know what those deeds of the flesh are, just turn to Galatians chapter number five. It gives you a whole list of them. We must kill the deeds of the flesh. I'm amazed sometimes at how much, how many of us as Christians, we get saved and we, we continue to play in areas that we know are wrong. We continue to mess around. The Bible says in Proverbs, if a man plays with fire, what will happen to him? He will get burned. It's not, it's not something that we take lightly. We're in a war. We must kill the deeds of the flesh. We must destroy them. Like an athlete destroys his physical desire so that he might run and win. We also must do the same thing. Mortification, put it to death. And lastly, submission. Submission. The last thing is, how do we win? We submit. Remember this. We cannot simply kill wrong desires. We must replace them with right ones. We cannot just kill wrong desires. We must replace them with right ones. We must nurture into our lives those things that are going to encourage spiritual growth and we must strongly fight against those things that are going to encourage the flesh to go down a path that is not the right path. We can do this through reading, meditating, and memorizing the scriptures. 
We can do it through praying, helping others, embracing, embracing our spiritual purpose or our purpose in life. These things might seem odd to you, but my, may I submit to you that the energy that you put into these things is going to be equally met with the outcome that they produce. If you put little, little energy into these things and you put much energy into your flesh, you are going to produce that outcome. It is going to be there in your life. If you put great energy into these things, you will produce a good outcome. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, Galatians 5, 16. I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. How do we not fulfill the desires of the flesh? We, we walk in the Spirit. It's not just the removal, it's the replacement. We don't remove the flesh without replacing it with a commitment to the Spirit of God living within us. Romans 8 and verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 13, 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And you're familiar with Psalm 119, verse 11. In verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By walking according to his word. Lord, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And all of these things, we, we, we can, listen, this morning, we can identify with Paul. We can see the struggle that he's going through because we go through it. We can see the battle that he's facing because we face it. We can know that it's not a spiritual battle, that we're not weak on the inside, but we're weak on the outside. Any of you older people, the inside tells you you can do something and the outside tells you you can't? Anybody like that? Come on, be honest. Got something out there. In the spiritual realm, the outside tells you you can do things and the inside tells you you can't. It's just the opposite. And the inside tells you you shouldn't because that's where Christ lives. And the outside is continually wanting to do those wrong things and the inside saying, no, don't do it. You love Jesus now. How do we win over that? How do we get the victory? We don't fight against our spirit. We fight against our flesh. We war. We make war on the flesh and those sinful desires. When we kill them, we kill them by not, by not doing the things that, they want us to, that it wants us to do. And like fasting. Fasting is a great way to mortify your flesh. It's a great way. I mean, it's, it's like difficult, right? But it's a great way to mortify your flesh. I, I knew a man that, that when, his kids were, when his kids were in their uh, teenage years, he, he encouraged them to fast once a week, one day. And he said, I didn't encourage them to feed. I don't, I don't even know if he knew that they were believers or not believers or what. But he said this, I, I encouraged them to fast once a day a week because I wanted them to learn to be able to control their flesh. I'm not saying that that's a solution for us, but that was something that they, he did to encourage them to be able to be in control the Spirit of God being in control of the flesh versus the other way around, the flesh being in control of the inside. We want to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So as you guys go through life, and as you ladies go through life, as we face those things where we say, Lord, I don't know why I keep doing this. Know that you're not battling, you're not, you're not weak in the Spirit, you're not partial, you're not incomplete, you're, you're, you're done, you're saved, you're in Christ, all that stuff is taken care of. Just know that you have a flesh that wants to do wrong. Wants to do wrong battle it. Make war. Make war on it. And, and through Christ, we can win. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Um, thank you that uh, you allowed the Apostle Paul, you encouraged the Apostle Paul to, to preach this message from, his, from your word, to give us this message so that we could learn from it and to know that he struggled like we struggle. And I pray that, God, that you would help the ones that are here today to find to find power in the spirit of God living within them to find strength there and to find purpose and Lord God to make war against those things that are in our flesh that are scars from the past continue to remain with us Lord until we die may our hearts be committed to fighting may our rest be 
based upon the sufficiency of Jesus. We give you the praise for